Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Welcome. Great to have you with us. It has been a fun week on the show so far. Thanks to all of our announcers uh, that do our great work on our Sunbury Broadcasting family of stations for joining us yesterday because that opens the door for us to have four guests on today. Rich Scarcello, the Reading Eagle, in just a few moments. Then next half hour, Dick Girardi, uh, Philadelphia Daily News, and my broadcast partner on the Penn State Sports Network for Nittany Lion Basketball. We're going to talk a little bit not only about Penn State basketball, but also talk about what we've seen in the scandal and the model that the NCAA may have to look at uh, with a 21st century mindset instead of a 20th century model. So I'll talk to Dick about that. Then we'll get to the 4 o'clock hour, and Jack Hamm is going to join us at 4.06 today. And in the final half hour, Derek Williams, uh, our sideline analyst who's done a brilliant job, is going to join us as well. So I thank all of our announcers yesterday for changing their schedules so we can accommodate today's show, which includes those four guests. Uh, And we're looking forward to it very, very much. On the show today. Today's show is brought to you by Sunbury Motors. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. It is uh, a lot of fun this week with the whiteout coming up in Beaver Stadium. Penn State, I mentioned and I've said it many times, they're in a spot, and I said this back in July, they control their own destiny. Well, through six games, they still control their own destiny. When you look at last weekend, for example, Clemson losing on Friday night. Washington State losing on Friday night. Now, do people think Clemson can still win its way to the playoff? Of course people do. But along the way, they're still going to need a little bit of help. That's the big difference. Rich Scarcella, Reading Eagle, joins us next, followed by Dick Girardi. All in this hour, Jack Ham, Derek Williams, final hour, here on News Radio 1070 WKOK. SMC is where you want to be for your next new Ford during the annual Fall Ford Markdown event. SMC is where you want to be if you want 46 Ford Escapes to choose from starting under 20 grand. SMC is where you want to be for your next new Ford F-150. Choose from over 50 F-Series trucks starting at $23,994. Sunbury Motors has sold over 40,000 Ford trucks over the past 102 years. SMC is where you want to be if you want to buy a brand new Explorer for under 30 grand. 14 Explorers starting at $29,925. Every new Ford has deep discounts during SMC's annual Fall Ford Markdown event. Fusions, Focuses, and Fiestas are at the year's lowest prices. SMC is where you want to be if you want to save big money on your next new Ford. Sunbury Motors in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza. Sunbury. Welcome back. Today's show brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Key Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. And very pleased now to bring in the outstanding Rich Scarcella from the Reading Eagle. Rich, welcome. Great to have you with us again on the show. 
Good afternoon, Steve. All right. So, six games down through this, mm-hmm. on your on your checklist, what are some things that you say, okay, that's what I thought we'd see, and what are some things on the other side that maybe you didn't think it'd see? Mm-hmm. That's a good question. Well, I thought we knew about Saquon Barkley, and he is not um, disappointed and has produced as we expected. Trace McSorley, I think, has played about what we expected, leads the Big Ten in passing yards per game and uh, ranks among the national leaders in pass efficiency and so on and so forth. Um, I think the one thing uh, that has hurt Penn State is, the, you know, Mike Jasicki got off to a quick start, has kind of tailed off. That might have something to do with the injury. Mm-hmm. He sustained against Indiana, so that's not a big deal at all. Uh, you know, the offensive line obviously is a concern, uh, I know Indiana and Northwestern put a lot of people in the box uh, to stop the run, and they did effectively, but I thought the offensive line would be better, and I thought Tyler Davis would be better. You know, there's no question about that, and I'm sure he did too. Um, he's really struggled with his um, with his accuracy, with field goal kicking. Uh, but, you know, the, the thing that has really stood out to me on is the defense. The defense is number one in the country, as, as we all know. Um, you know, points allowed, nine points a game. Uh, I, you know, the defensive line has played about as what I expected, played better than the, much better than the first half of last season. But the secondary has really emerged as, uh, you know, really one of the top uh, top secondaries in the country. So uh, the two surprises to me, or the three surprises to me, I should say, are that the offensive line has struggled more than I expected, Tyler Davis, and the secondary playing really, really well. Uh, that, that They're the three that stick out to me. I want to talk about the secondary play for a moment, Rich. Obviously, it's all it's the, the starters are all seniors back there. We know uh-huh. Grant Haley's done really well, but when you look at a six-one Christian Campbell, uh-huh. a six-one, six-one and a half Amani Oyuarie, what is their length also meant to the coverage back there? Well, I think it, there's no question it's had an impact on on opposing offenses. Uh, you know, and, and interestingly enough, I mean, while Campbell. And, and Amani have played terrifically and played really, really well. Grant Haley is the guy that's having the all-conference type of uh, season right now. But they, but that length, I mean, you can't coach length. You know, it's just like in basketball. You can't coach size. And to have a pair of 6-1 corners, um, you know, who can really play the bigger wideouts in, in the Big Ten, like the semi-cobs in Indiana – uh, you know, that's really, really uh, quite a plus and quite a nice little uh, thing for the Penn State defense to have. Which then brings us to pressure up front, which helps create plays in the secondary. Yep. Uh, some had wondered what how Penn State would play up mm-hmm. front entering the season. What have been your thoughts actually now watching it play out? Well, you know, I, I think the, the ends, I mean, they, they've used so many guys – up front, Sean Spencer, which is which he did last year. Um, so nobody really stands out, not one person. But the guys to me that have impressed me the most are Sharif Miller, Shaka Tony, Ryan Buckles. And that's not taking anything away from any of the other guys. It's not taking away from the tackles. Um, but those three have really stood out on the edge. And, uh, you know, I just think that, you know, that, they're not. They may not lead the Big Ten. Penn State may not lead the Big Ten in sacks, 
But I think their pass rush, they've been in the backfield an awful lot this first half of the season. Sometimes they haven't been able to bring down the quarterback. Uh, but, but those three guys up front have really, um, they're the guys who I look for. I mean, Tony, I don't know if anybody has that kind of speed off the edge right. as, as he does. No, that's a really good point. And, Rich, last year, and this is something that Sean Spencer in conjunction with Brent Pry and others and James Franklin done mm-hmm. at Vanderbilt, they employed four defensive ends. So it was not a surprise mm-hmm. to see them do it. When you look at the four defensive end package for Penn State now, which is mm-hmm. Shereef Miller, Shaka Tony, Kevin Givens, Ryan Buckholtz, mm-hmm. what is your opinion of watching that play out as a four defensive end package? Yeah, I mean, they're, they, they're, they're, they could get to the quarterback almost any time. Now, you know, Iowa is probably... Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm just thinking it really quickly. But I was probably the best offensive line they played, and while they didn't have a lot of sacks, they really pressured uh, Stanley a lot. So, you know, I, I like it. I mean, you know, now we're gonna, you know, big picture, just like you know, defensive line, defensive ends. You could say this for the whole team. We're gonna find out a lot in the next three games. We're gonna find out a whole lot, you know, and and where where things are and how good everybody is at what position uh, against Michigan, Ohio State, Michigan State. No question. No no, no question about that. Uh, when you look at Michigan's offense at this point, everybody's all, we've all had a chance mm-hmm. to look at it. What's been your mm-hmm. general impression of watching the Michigan offense so far? Well, unfortunately, I haven't gotten to see that as much as I would like. I'm either uh, writing or right. traveling after games. So, but what I've seen, I, I saw a little bit of the Michigan-Michigan State game last week, like some of us, to me, as they turned it over five times. Now, I know the weather was horrible. I know it was wet. I know it was windy. Michigan State didn't turn it over. And that's a, that would be a big sign if I was Jim Harbaugh. Uh, but, but, but they just, you know – I just thought they'd be further along offensively. Their defense is obviously one of the very best in the country. Right. But offensively, I, I, I don't know. I, I mean, again, without watching them for, great, for a great period of time, I just thought they'd be better. Um, you know, they're, they're, just, they're just not. Um, you know, in the middle of the pack and just about everything. That, and You know, they have some young receivers, and I get that, but they they've not really – Throwing the ball downfield effectively. I mean, you, you talk you just have four touchdown passes in five games. That's not good. Right. So that, that that's what jumps out at me. And I, I with Jim Harbaugh there, I had a he would have made a bigger difference on Michigan's offense by now. That's that's interesting because uh, you can look at what they've done in the red zone. The most effective player in the red zone has been Quinn Nordine, the place mm-hmm. kicker. You look, right. you know, when you've had the opportunity to see a little bit of the Michigan defense, what really sticks out about them? Rashawn Gary, that that just sticks out. What sticks out and who sticks out? They're, you know, they're really good up front. That's that's the thing that that if I'm Penn State, that's the thing I'm most concerned about during this bye week is preparing. How do you, you know, how do you create room against the front four like that? And also, if they get if they're able to stop the run with four and get to the quarterback with four, that puts seven in pass coverage, and that makes things a whole lot more difficult. Right. Yeah, and I thought, you know, for example, when the Eagles beat Carolina, that's one of the things mm-hmm. the Eagles could get pressure with four. Carolina had mm-hmm. a blitz. I mean, that, that right. that's a big difference. 
Uh, right. Uh, I mean, Indiana. I'm sorry. No, Indiana please. and Northwestern got. You know, they did. They were effective against the run. They they, they put pressure on Trace McSorley, but they did it with six, seven guys. Right. Right. Exactly. They 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 did that, do that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Urban Meyer has made a, has has made some news, and part of that is one about a targeting call on Denzel Ward. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you know the definition of targeting? And if so, can you enlighten me? <laughs> I I don't I, I don't, and I and that's one rule. I mean, I know Brandon Smith. He shouldn't have been called for targeting last year at Michigan. Um, I saw a play in the NFL game. Obviously, the Packers, the Green Bay Dallas game, where yeah. there was you know. I I, under, I don't want to harp on this. I mean, the referees they have a hard enough job, and they're just out to you know to, the rule is put in to protect players. I get it. Yeah. Um. You know, I, and I like the college rule better when the guys you, you get a chance to review the call in the NFL that doesn't happen. Right. And I I don't I'm not I'm not going to be too critical of officials who are making this call, and I don't know the exact definition of it, but I know. I know what the intent is, and, and, and the intent is to protect players, and I'm all for that. Which then brings us, he was talking about the fact that uh, when they played Nebraska, it was it's the third straight road night game of the Big Ten. Now, the first one was Indiana, and that was Labor Day weekend on a Thursday. Okay, 35-minute mm-hmm. flight. Now at And I'm going to guess, I remember, if I remember correctly, I'll bet you almost half the crowd was from for Ohio State. Right, exactly. Uh, and then uh, they played at Rutgers, and, and you and I know that. Look, it's not a mm-hmm. short trip from Piscataway up to Newark, and you know, so I understand that completely. Sure. And then Nebraska is the other one, but they don't. But they have a bye week. <laughs> I mean, right. it, it doesn't. I understand what he's saying, but it doesn't hold as much water when you look at it closely. I don't know what you think about that. Well, I think what he's getting at, he's upset that the game in two weeks against Penn State not a prime time night game. That's I'm sure that's what he's getting at, and we know why it's not a night game is because Fox is doing the game. Fox has a World Series game that night. That's right. So that's why the kickoff is three thirty. But I see you, that's what he's getting at. That he's upset that his home game against Penn State is not at night. Right. Exactly. And and his home and his uh, and. Uh... And Michigan's not going to be at night either, uh, no, even though no, that game's right. up in Ann Arbor. Right, right, but it never is at night. We, you know, it, we, it's a, for those who don't know that game is is almost etched in stone that it's twelve o'clock uh, every year, um, the last playing date of the Big Ten season. And I'm sure that's what he's getting at. But I mean, you played Indiana Rutgers, and then you're what a twenty-four point favorite at Nebraska, right? So. Uh, you know, I don't. I, <laughs> um, I'll be interested to see if their game at Iowa is a prime time game. Right. Now, I'm interested. That that's a very good question, Rich. Maybe that's maybe, and maybe that's what he's trying to do is trying to make sure that it's not. I, I don't know. Yeah, I I don't know whether it's a re- that's a really good point on your part. I just, for one thing, when you have a mega contract. Like the Big Ten now has, which I think people ten years ago never dreamed they get this kind of money. Right. Uh, you know, each one wants to be able to get a return on the money they've invested in the conference. Uh-huh. So you got to uh-huh. see it somewhat from their their viewpoint because you mentioned Iowa, and we mentioned uh-huh. Nebraska. 
Well, what's right. the common do- denominator in these games? You either have to have Ohio State, Michigan, or Penn State on the other side to help draw a rating in that game because you're not going to get a combination of other schools to do that. Correct. Right. And, and, and I, I, I know what he, you know, I get it. I mean, I don't like night games either. I don't, you know, from a work standpoint. You know, for, if I'm at home watching it, that's a different story. But from a work standpoint, it makes things a little more difficult. Uh, and from his, I, I think that's what he's getting at is the fact that that they're playing that they've played three night games or they'll play their third night game this weekend, and that his home game against Penn State is a night game, and the game at Iowa may be a night game. Now, I'm going to ask you a question that um, I've asked to other people. Can you explain the, te- the Big Ten's telecontract to me and how the how the games are picked? I believe the way it's done is that there's a a rotation on priority each week as to who gets the number one pick, but in the mm-hmm. end, I think Fox is the one that is the one that's going to get the you know the first picks on several weeks. It's interesting though; mm-hmm. Penn State has not been on Fox once so far right. until the Ohio State right. game. I really thought I thought Michigan would be on Fox, but right. there's also a possibility of a uh, ALCS and NLCS game that night. Now I don't know how much that played into it. So you're, I, I, yeah, that that that's that's a whole other story because I I don't understand. Like people have asked me, well, how how do they pick games? I'm like, I I don't know. And I've asked people who work for Penn State, and they don't know. You know, and it's it's a very very fascinating uh, scenario. Well, but well, you but know, yeah, what, it, but you know, what's all I know is it's a lot of money. Well, the person that would know that actually will have media access is at Madison Square Garden, and that's for Big Ten Media Day, and that's Jim Delaney. And it may be a basketball okay. media day, but he'd be the one to to probably answer the question as to how they get picks. Because yeah. he, I mean, he I, has to know, <laughs> right? Or you know, I thought maybe Mark Rudner would know. Or I, I don't yeah. know. Maybe somebody, somebody there does. But it's just, yeah, I'm not sure. Like, um, you know, this, the fact that I, I, I'm going way off course here, but the, the Penn State Michigan State game is that a Fox game or is that an ABC game? Nobody knows. Nobody will know that yeah. until the Monday before the Ohio State game. Yeah, yeah, really interesting. But yeah, it's. Uh, I understand. I get coaches' frustration with, you know, because they don't. You know, they, you get back late. I mean, it's and they know they make money off it. I mean, the conference is making a lot of money off it. Yeah. The schools are making a lot of money off it. But from when you're coaching a team and you're not getting back till four or five o'clock in the morning, like Penn, State, like I don't have to tell you, like Penn State did after Iowa. Right. It, 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 I, I understand. I understand his concern, and also he's just sticking up. He, he wants a fair. He wants. He wants a home game that's at night. Yeah, exactly. I understand that completely. Rich, always a pleasure. It's just great just talking back and forth about things. I enjoy it very much. Thank you, Steve. I always enjoy it. The outstanding Rich Scarcello, the Reading Eagle. Great work he does all the time. Great perspective. Dick Girardi coming up next half hour. Then in the next hour, Jack Hammond, Derek Williams on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. And great to have you back with us, and we welcome in my broadcast partner. Was this 14 years now? Sounds about right, Steve. Yeah. Dick Girardi. EJ, great to have you with us. Uh, 
Uh, I'll get to what's been happening in college basketball in a moment on a national scale. Let's talk about Penn State first of all. We know the five starters that are back. What's the general impression? What kind of growth should we be looking for from the young players? Steve, I think when we did our last broadcast at what was then known as the Verizon Center in Washington uh, last season, but it's since changed its name to something I don't know because they do change the name <laughs> so often I can't keep up with it. Um, we said the summer was going to be critical because it's when people aren't looking, uh, and that's when players either get better or they don't. Uh, so, uh, by all accounts, all of the young players, including the three sophomores that are now sophomores that started, have all gotten better. Uh, and if that's the case, I spent uh, I don't know, half an hour this summer talking to Taylor Battle after he was up there playing against these guys, and I said, what do you think? He said, way, way more talent than any of the teams I was ever on. I mean, said not even close. So the talent is there, the experience is now there, and they've gotten better over the summer. No reason to think this isn't going to be a good team, a chance to get up into the top half of the Big Ten. All right, so they went to the Bahamas. I know you and I both watched online yep. the first game in particular. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, my impression was, and you can tell me if I'm wrong about this, that last season they would have lost that game. Uh, no question. Uh, yeah. what, what was it we saw in that one that did seem different? I thought they were able to score in a lot of different ways and pretty easily. Uh, that was some of the problem in those close losses last year, Steve. There would be... Uh, a possession, a, a missed free throw, uh, a missed pass, just just enough that you lose on the last possession instead of winning. So, yeah, I, I thought that I thought they were good. Now, what is the caliber of competition? I know they were older guys. If I told you I knew who those players were, I would be making it up because uh, obviously it was the first time you and I saw any of them. Right? There weren't any names that were familiar to me, but I mean they were not on talent. They made some good players out there. So, yeah. I think it did show something because it had been easily the kind of game where people think, wow, you're, you're playing the Bahama All-Stars, you're supposed to win. And then you're not only in a game, but you're losing. And you're losing by a significant margin late in the game. So, yeah, I, I was impressed. I, I liked everything I saw about it. And I like the new guys. I, I, I like Satchel. I, I like Jamari. I, like, I just like the talent that they have in the program and, and the guys we already know about. These guys are really good. These are players that a lot of other big-time schools want. Uh, you mentioned Taylor Battle. He was up here. As, you know, you're know, you able to bring the pros into work. And so they came in, and I watched some of that some of that scrimmage. How beneficial is that for them to, in a couple ways, number one, to face that kind of competition, but number two, to make them realize Penn State is more than just them at this particular point. They actually have more meat on the bone traditionally than people would realize. Yeah, I think it's great on all counts. And I talked to Patrick right after that, Steve, and he said exactly that, that it was great for the kids to see, hey, there have been some really good players in this program. And by the way, they can still play. And they're going to give you guys all you need and then some. And by all accounts, they did. So, and again, Talking to Taylor, uh, I called him, I think, the day after I talked to Pat. He was just so impressed by the by the talent and the skill level and the kids. So, yeah, I think it's beneficial. It's always good to play against older guys, stronger guys, in some cases uh, better guys. Uh, so that, that's how you get better. Uh, and you see what you need to work at and to have guys to look up to 
an all-time leading scorer uh, like Taylor, an NIT MVP, and an NIT championship year like Jamel Thornley. I mean, just guys that have been win- winners on winning teams. I think that's really helpful. Uh, Tony Carr, uh, in his maturation, what do you, what will you be looking for, Dick? I think that just is interesting. I was reading the quotes from from Media Day, and Tony said, and I think he acknowledged, he was often the coolest guy on the court, except the few times when he wasn't. Right. Uh, there, there were times when he just lost a little bit, and I, I get it. You're frustrated. You're losing close games. He wasn't a guy who was used to losing because obviously he didn't lose much at Roman Catholic. And he acknowledged it. He said, you know what, I needed to, I can't do that anymore. I think that's great. Because he's ultimately going to be the leader of the squad. He's the guy with the ball. And he was a big shot guy. He made big baskets. And it either looked like they were going to win games or a tie game late. It just didn't end up that way. Uh, but, yeah, I, I see him as a potential all-league player. Uh, and look, the fact that he was able to go out to the Nike, Nike Skills Academy and play against the, the best of the best, I, I think that's huge for him. Um, and that's only, that's only going to help him, Steve. From 15 feet and in, how good can Lamar Stevens be? Yeah, I think he's another guy with all-league potential. Um and the fact that he was able to, toward the end of the season, take his jump shot out and start making threes, that makes him even a harder guard, Steve. Because you, if you remember, nobody was picking him up out there for the first half of the season. They were just letting him go. So it was a little harder for him to get to the rim. Where he's obviously a great finisher and he's a great free throw shooter. And the fact that he and Tony got there so often as freshmen is a great sign. Yeah, I, I, think, I think Lamar has uh, definite all-league potential and I think he's a guy late in the game that you can give the ball in, in the right spots, and he will either find a way to get a good shot or get himself to the line. Uh, Josh Reeves and, and Mike Watkins, what kind of X factors can they be, and what kind of growth do they need to have? Well, Josh is, I don't know why people didn't understand this, but he's one of the best defenders in the league. <laughs> yeah. uh, I don't think people quite understand how quick he is. Uh, maybe there are a couple of fundamental mistakes he made, Steve, but he'll correct that. He wants to be great, and he's got the talent level to do that. Uh, he's obviously he, he's the guy who jumps out of the gym, but you can tell how hard he worked on his shot. Uh, and I think he's I think he's their best. Uh, how can we call this? Just a, a passing lane defender. Yeah, he's just phenomenal at it. How he just goes and gets the ball. From the time he committed, I, I told you, I said, Mike Watkins is the ultimate X factor. Yep. He's the kind of guy they've never had in the program. Uh, there's only one guy that can block shots with him, and he's obviously the all-time shot-blocking leader, Calvin Booth. He's the only guy that's ever had a better single-season shot-blocking year than Mike Watkins as yeah. a freshman. And, of course, Calvin did it four times. But Calvin never had Mike's offensive game. Uh, no. and, and Mike's, if, if, he, if his footwork gets better, and he gets a little stronger around the rim. Because he's got a good touch, uh, and I think he's got a good understanding of the game. He's a pretty good passer. He's another guy that's got a chance to be an all-league player. And when was the last time you and I talked about <laughs> multiple Penn State players no. having a chance to be all-league? I'm not saying they all will be, because obviously it's a great league with a lot of really, really good young players, in it, including Iowa and Michigan State, which along with Penn State had the great freshman classes last year. Um but yeah, I think I think Mike's got a chance to be really good. Shep Garner, uh, what will it take for him to really, in your opinion, embrace a certain role that can swing games? 
Shep is uh, he, he's going to have to make plays late in games, getting to the foul line, making free throws. And, Steve, he's going to have open threes this year because uh, of all the players that can get to the rim. And he, I think he'll tell you himself, he just didn't shoot up to his standards last year. Uh, whatever the reason was, doesn't matter anymore. It's irrelevant. It's a, it's a new year. He's got a, He's got a great shot. He scored over 1,000 points. You called it at a cluster in January against Michigan State. So he's had a terrific career. He was the Pied Piper starting the pipeline from Roman Catholic. I think ultimately if he can just, when he gets his shots, just make a pretty good percentage of them, and especially those shots at end of games when a three can either swing the game your way or ahead of the other. All right. Uh... Big East Media Day and Big Ten Media Day are both going to be uh, in New York. You'll be attending both, and then you and I will be together at Big Ten Media Day. Obviously, the questions about what's happened with the FBI investigation are going to come up, and we're going to get a series of generic answers uh, for obvious reasons. Are you? What do you think about the layers that the FBI has been able to uncover because none of this surprised you or me. This is not a, there's no surprises here. But how impressed were you by the layers they uncovered? Well, I mean, I, I was surprised in this way, Steve, that the FBI was interested. Yes, <laughs> that's a good point. What kind of surprised me that they were interested in finding out something that we've all known was going on. None of us particularly like it because it gives certain programs an unfair advantage. But it's no it's no news to anyone that there were programs at the upper echelon of the sport uh, that had shoe deals where the shoe companies wanted to get good players into the program wearing their shoes and that certain assistant coaches on those teams were getting money from the shoe companies uh, and in fact some of the players were getting money so yeah no no surprise uh, did I was I surprised that the uh, the people who were arrested, I mean, yeah, only because I don't, I didn't know which programs were doing sure. it. I had some, I had some guesses, but I had no uh, knowledge. Uh, but, I mean, it's brought in the open, what a lot of people already knew. I mean, it's kind of laughable when you hear uh, the people from Indianapolis now saying, hey, we're going to have a commission, we're going to figure <laughs> this all out. See, they're not going to figure that out. They already knew what was going on. Frankly, they don't have any great interest themselves in solving the problem. And I'll put that in quotation marks because I'm not really sure it is as big a problem as other people think. Because, let's face it, the NCAA tournament is the cash cow that makes the NCAA as an organization run. 95% of their revenue comes from the CBS and Turner money. Do you, do you really think they want to police this? Right. I, I don't, I'm not sure they ever have. So I think that maybe they've known a few things and not really cared. But having said all that, and I've said this for years now, I, I think that the system is inherently unfair to the players who are in it in a certain uh, respect because nobody ever imagined billion-dollar television contracts That's right. when the NCAA model was originated. Nobody thought of that. Why, why would you? So back then, amateurism was fine. It made perfect sense. But now... It's hard to tell these players, hey, look, your coach is making $5 million. Uh, Mark Emmert and his people are flying around in private jets and staying in hotel suites. And uh, the shoe companies are making a ton of money. And you, if you get, if you go down the street and get a free tattoo, you're out. I mean, what, in what world does that make any sense? Right. So I think there needs to be coming at some point a, a reality check for everybody just saying, this needs to change. 
that's what the, there should be a commission about. Uh, let's find a way to uh, update this, realize it's 2017, because guess what, Steve? If they don't change it, it's going to keep happening. Right. This will not stop. The FBI, regardless of what's going on here, is not going to stop the problem. The problem will continue in some other form. So solve the problem by making, instead of making under-the-table, illegal, against-the-rules payments, find a way to make it legal. There's, there's ways to do this. But there are ways to do it. And I know somebody asked me about the NBA one and done. And I said, remember, I said, that's part of this. I said, but I said, the emphasis would then be on the uh, 25 to 75 guys that aren't going to the NBA. That would be the next layer. They'd go there. But how much would at least initially help, even though the NBA has nothing to do with it, but they do have the one year, 19 year old rule. How much would it help if they just abolish that at least as a starting point? Yeah, I mean, just go back to the way it was. If a player doesn't want to, I mean, did LeBron James have any reason to be in college? No. Yeah, of course not. It's silly. Did, did, did uh, Kevin Durant or Greg Oden? Not really, but they, they had no choice. Right. They had to go. Uh, so, yeah, I, it's just, it, to me, it's restraint of trade. I, I get why they did it, uh, but it hasn't, it hasn't solved the, the problem. Um, and again, I, I really think, Steve, there, look, there are only. Who knows how many programs are involved in the shoe, assistant coach, player, the, the stuff that we've now been reading about. I mean, you could pick a number. Is it 75? Is it 100? I, I don't know. What the or, could, it, it, or, or is it less than 20? I mean, you know, again, you right. know, nobody knows. Hard, hard to know. Hard, but, but certainly it's happened, and, and it's been happening, and nobody would argue that it's been happening. Um, so maybe what you do is just find a way, rather than, make this against the NCAA rules, you just find a way if it's uh, if it's allowing players to, uh, star players to uh, sell their likeness while they're in college. I don't know who that hurts, really. Uh, if some, I, I, I remember Chris Weber when he was at Michigan saying, well, wait a second. You know, they're selling my jersey for all this money and I get nothing. But that's not an unreasonable thought. In no other world would that happen. So why can't you find a way for some of these really high-profile guys, and that's who it is, find a way to, if you want to make college basketball better and deal in reality, find a way to get them some money. It's okay. It's not, look, it didn't hurt. Did it hurt the Olympics right. when people started getting paid? No. I mean, come on. <laughs> right. And the, and, the, and the bottom line is, as you said, when this model was put together, none of this stuff existed. No. Nobody, I mean, envisioned, nobody envisioned television, Steve. Much, much less <laughs> all this money for television rights. Nobody envisioned the Big Ten Network. Nobody envisioned any of this stuff. So, and I, I'll hear people saying, "Well, that means all the all the students, all the athletes have to get paid." Well, they don't. Uh, the, the revenue-producing sports are men's basketball and football, and that that's the reality that you and I understand. And if there is a star player who has the potential to market himself, I. Don't see the harm in that. I, I really don't. Uh, it, because they're going to have to come up with some model here, Dick. At some point, right. that right. that is that is a twenty first century model, right? Yeah, and not a twentieth century model. I mean, and that's that's uh, that's not a criticism of anybody. That's no criticism yeah, at all. Just, it's just that it's the sign of the times, right? But just don't try to hide behind the uh, amateurism model, which is certainly what the NCA is doing, and. But they have a self-interest in doing that. Uh, it, that's, they get their money from these players. Uh, that's 
that's how they run as an operation. So you almost have to take it out of their hands. Need kind of a neutral party. A Taylor Branch who's written some great stuff about this. That just just try to examine the whole system. How does it work? What way could you make it better and and most importantly fairer for the players? Uh, who ultimately, if some player uh, took like ten thousand, or in in the case of twelve prior to teammates at Ohio State took what did they get? Free tattoos. Yeah. And you'd have thought they were like horrible human beings. I never thought that. No. It's, he's a college kid. Right. Somebody says, yo, man, you can get you some free tattoos down here. Well, who's not doing that? Right. I mean, come on. It's just, but yet, yet the old other stuff happens and people look the other way, but yet you're going to penalize these players for doing something. I guarantee you, every player at one of these high profile, big time revenue producing programs, they, they're thinking exactly like we're talking, Steve. Yeah. They, they know they're not stupid. These guys, these guys, and, and they've been around it because they're in basketball, they've been around the AAU programs. They know there's big money in this stuff, and so do their parents. Always a pleasure. We've solved most of the problems of the world in a short period of time, at least in our own minds we did. That's what we're here for, Steve. Nobody's better than us at solving all of those kinds of problems. <laughs> at least in our own minds, Dick. At least in our own minds. Next hour, by the way, Dick Girardi and Derek Williams will join us on the show. Uh, we had to get to uh, Dick right away out of the break. And so we'll put uh, this day in sports history here in this part. In 1945, the Chicago Cardinals ended the longest losing streak in NFL history. The team had lost 29 consecutive games. Now, I think everyone thinks, oh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers had to have had the record. But they lost their first 26. The Chicago Cardinals lost 29 in a row and finally snapped that streak in the state in 1945. 1951, Jack Christensen of the Detroit Lions ran back two punts for touchdowns in a game. 1962, the ageless one out of Youngwood. George Blanda of the Houston Oilers threw six touchdown passes against the New York Titans. The great race driver Jackie Stewart announced his retirement from auto racing in 1973. You now see him in Heineken commercials. Uh, Turning down, by the way, the beverage before he drives. Uh, 1976, the New York Yankees won their first American League pennant since 1964. They were swept by the Cincinnati Reds, led by manager Sparky Anderson, who will, uh, will... Discuss in just a few moments. 1978, Daryl Settler of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Seven assists in one game. The Leafs beat the New York Islanders 10-7. The aforementioned Sparky Anderson, who led the Reds to world championships in 75 and 76. Well, on this day, 1984, became the first baseball manager to win 100 games and a World Series in both leagues, leading the Detroit Tigers to the World Series championship. They beat the San Diego Padres. 1990, Joe Montana of the 49ers passed for 476 yards and six touchdowns. Five of the touchdown passes were to Jerry Rice. All right, coming up in the next hour, full coverage of Penn State and Michigan and full coverage of the Nittany Lions as well. My broadcast partner, For the last 18 seasons, Jack Hamm is going to join us in the next half hour. And our sideline analyst, who probably has the toughest job of the group, Derek Williams, will join us. So we'll talk with my two broadcast partners that will be with me starting at 6 o'clock on Saturday night at Beaver Stadium. Today's show brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Keywords 11 and 15 on News Radio 1070 WKOK.